mother is an artist. I'm not going to suddenly stop doing that because I have children. So you never felt that your mother exploited you or used you? I took the leap of faith into motherhood. I make a better aunt than I would a mother, I think. My mother, she had to make it like that. She's the most difficult job on the planet. She's the mother. That sounds like a mother already devastated by the death of one son. She's going to kill me. So knowing how to prepare for Mother Nature's theory can actually save your life. Barack Obama hated his mother. Mama, I love you, and we're going to celebrate all hour with a cake. I think we're going to start, and I thought that actually what I'd like to do is start with a moment of silence. So. Lucy Morgenstern has a business planning and leading pet funeral ceremonies. She's done it for the last few years for other people, but then a few months ago, her dog Frida died, and she led her ceremony. You know, as I think about Frida, she died young. But it's hard to feel sad because she was a happy girl. And she had a very happy life, and everyone loved her. Just gonna light this candle. Frida's ceremony was in Lucy's third floor walk-up apartment. The walls were pink. It was cold outside, but warm inside with sage burning. There was a grand piano and pictures of Frida everywhere. Lucy and Frida wearing a hat, Frida getting a birthday cake, a drawing of Frida. Lucy's living room was set up with a circle of chairs. There were flowers and a candle on one side of the room next to a music stand. Well, I think maybe it's time for a little music, so I'm gonna play. Lucy's a professional violinist. Besides leading the service, Lucy plays an original song for each animal. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking, uh, one of the reasons that I ended up getting Frida was because when I called the breeder, who I didn't know was a breeder, I thought she just did rescue work, I mentioned to her that my cats didn't like it when I practiced. And they gave me a lot of trouble and grief. They had these puppies, and then they realized that Frida was deaf, and they um, were not going to be selling her. Uh, and she wanted to find a good home, and she was very concerned about this deaf dog. But she remembered that I said how the, the, the cats hated it when I practiced. And one of her selling points, because I really didn't want a puppy, I was very afraid of having a puppy, and that was not on my list. And she said, there'll be no problem when you're practicing. <laughs> there were a lot of people at this pet funeral ceremony, which surprised me. The last time I had a pet funeral ceremony was when I was like eight years old, and it was just my family around a toilet bowl while we flushed my goldfish goldenrod down the toilet. But today, we sat in a circle of chairs, looking at each other. I'm mostly 
It was a guest who talked about their relationship with this dog, Frida. So Frida liked very much to walk on Broadway, but I felt she, that she preferred Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> because there were more things that she could potentially sniff and maybe even partake of. <laughs> Before Frida, Lucy had had lots of pets, but never a dog. Now she had to walk her a couple of times a day, and when she went out of town, someone had to take care of Frida. That's how she met the kids upstairs. I remember that one time when I was younger, when I first started walking her, like, I think it was maybe the second year. So I decided that I, it was Halloween, and I decided that I wanted to make a costume for her. So I dressed her up as a ladybug, and, like, I got her a little red leotard thing, and <laughs> I used a skirt that, like, was about her size, and made some little ladybug wings, and then I was going to take her to the Halloween parade. And when we got there, she got so freaked out that I had to take her back. And like, it was so cute though. She just, she was like, why are, why are all these people like different? What's wrong with everybody? What's going on? Is there something that I don't know about? Another thing about Lucy having her first dog is she didn't realize how much work it was gonna be. And she found out too late. So, you know, she would do things she 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 shouldn't do, like pee in the house when she was a puppy and poop. And I had to I had to take her out and, and, and I had to watch her behavior. I had to scold her and I'd get exasperated with her when she wouldn't walk or when she was pulling. And so I found myself really unwillingly in the parent role. I, I really had not anticipated being a parent. I I just, I thought I'd be her friend, but as it turned out, I think I really I, I I ended up being more like her mother. Lucy didn't love Frida more than her other animals. She felt like Frida's mom because she had to take care of her the most. Yeah, my mother, my mother, who was I think a phenomenal poet, although unpublished, wrote a poem that I think is so profound that. I'm going to read it. We are single threads intertwined in the fabric of each other. Lucy was a lot younger than her siblings, and her parents were really busy when she was growing up. She was alone a lot. And I felt the world was a hostile place, and I was alone in this hostile place. And, um, and then, of course, then I had my moments of nature and you know, the beauty of flowers, the beauty of music. So there was, there was beauty, but, um, uh, but then there was a lot of feeling scared. So, um, so that, that was very, very challenging and continued to be, and, and actually continues to be. I didn't want to bring anybody into the world that would go through what I went through, so. Being a mom is hard. You just can't prepare for those emotions you're going to feel. And unlike most moms, Lucy knew she would outlive Frida. There were times when she was having seizures. There was a period where I held Frida for six hours. I couldn't put her down. And just the physicality of it and the, the of something just happened in that that was so bonding. We were so together. Uh, it eleva- it actually elevated our relationship. So when she died, I I felt like we'd been companions in in a journey, 
I think death is viewed as a failure, as a defeat, as something to be avoided at all costs, something to be put off. And I think because we're so busy looking away that we miss the gifts that come in the dying process. I think a lot of opportunities are lost for healing because we're so busy trying to avoid death that maybe we don't complete our relationships. And then they're over, and then it's too late. And then I think that the grieving process is a much harder grieving process. It's maybe for what might have been, for what we didn't, what we didn't say, the things that we were sorry for and never had a chance to say that we were sorry for and, and make that complete. I hope that I can meet my dying process with the same courage and acceptance and peace that my animals have shown so that we can see that um, it can be um, a very sacred experience. And that, and that is what I think it is. It is sacred. It's just, it doesn't look that way. The first death I ever experienced was of my goldfish. Now as I'm thinking back about it, it wasn't practice for human death later. It was my first time experiencing something that's part of life's bigger cycles that I would encounter in so many different ways as I got older. Animals know how to die, and I think probably all living creatures know how to die. It's just that we've forgotten. I think we've forgotten things that we knew. I'm sure we knew how to die, but now it seems like a very scary thing. And I'm hoping that we can recover what we knew. Frida's seizures were caused by the brain tumor that killed her. But they also caused something else in the last days of her life. She was able to hear for the first time. Lucy's friend Ro was there in those last few days. There was something different about her hearing the vibrations of whatever it was, but it was an alertness that as soon as that door opened, her head went straight up and in the direction of the door. It was quite strange. But I'm thinking that now Frida can hear the music. <laughs> So thanks again to Caitlin Pierce, who produced that piece for us. Um, and thanks also to Lucy, who shared her story um, with Caitlin and with us. Caitlin's a really talented, young, independent radio producer based here in New York. She's done some uh, work with Death, Sex, and Money for WNYC. Caitlin's new podcast, Borders, is audio stories about borders by the people who cross them. Check it out on iTunes, or you can look at bordersradio.org to listen to all of her episodes that she's got up so far. What do you think, Anne? Does, does money equal love? 
Mm, no, in my opinion. But maybe that's because I don't have a lot of money. So, <laughs> but I got a lot of love, be, baby. But I, I got, got a lot, lot of love. Of love. <laughs> well, exactly. okay. So according to American Pet Products Association, which is a trade association serving the interests of pet product manufacturers, uh, in 2004, how many billions do you think Americans spent on their pets? Okay, so a country of 300 million, if we each spent $100 a year. You're going to do math on this? You're not just, okay. Well, I can't do math. Hang on. I'm going to guess um, you can do math. $3 billion. $3 billion? $3 billion. $3 billion. yeah. Dude, $34. Oh, $34.4 billion. Now, that was 2004. 2014, 10 years later, what do you think that number is? Uh, so let's double it. Let's take it up to 60-something billion. Double it in 10 years? Sure. Okay, wow. You're bold. Actually, it's 58, so almost, Ooh. almost doubled in 10 Who's years what Americans spent on their pets. Wow, you got to wonder what happened there, because if you think about that, the economy fell off a cliff during that period, like a couple times. That's so true. Yeah, even in 2008, it was still up in 2008. Are there more pet products to buy now than there were in the past? Maybe they raised the prices. I don't know. There's probably more spent on stuff that's not maybe necessarily absolutely vital to the dog's existence you know which which makes you think like people are you know treating their dogs like more like family members you know which is fine for some people and not so fine for other people some people are enraged that people would treat their pets as Family members and especially as children. I am. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Who is who is enraged? Like who who out there protests this? Uh, who is there, is there a lobby? Is there a lobby against? Yeah. Like pet. <laughs> who pet cares enough to like actually? Status? Who is it in this world that like cares enough to speak out against people treating their pets as children? The Pope. I'm looking at an article right now in The Guardian. Pope Francis was mad. He warned, this article says, he warned married couples who choose not to have children that they are heading for an old age blighted by, quote, the bitterness of loneliness. Um, he doesn't the Pope want doesn't you. have any children, right? I, I, I mean, who knows if he had, does uh, the, Pope the Pope have Pope any pets? has his friends. I don't know. I don't really know. I don't that, know. I, I find that the, really interesting. I wonder if he has pets. Oh my god, now I'm dying to know. I wonder if the Pope's the only one. I'm just gonna Google pet parents and see what what comes up. Are you Googling it? Oh wait, hang on. I only have one hand because I'm holding my mic. Oh. There's an article from Slate that says, I am not a pet parent. Pet parents pamper to the extreme USA Today. Dog owners are now pet parents. Salon. Pet parents are not, in capital letters, moms. That's Huffington Post. Wow, man. Like, that's a lot. Like, that's... But the top, the top result is petparents.com. So I think they win. Oh, true. 
they totally win. Online, online resource, resource for, for pet, pet care. care info. Pet parents mm-hmm. is an online community for pet parents and their pets. Create your profile today to share pet info and receive special offers. Okay, I clicked on it. I wonder if they have like... Um, Ooh, National Association of Professional Pet Sitters. Help! My cat mm. hates going to the vet. So I guess you can weigh in on that. It's like a mommy blog for yeah, for pets. pets. But no, I mean, like, it's funny, you know, hearing that piece from Caitlin and, like, just seeing how everybody weighs in on pet parenting. I guess my experience with pet parenting has been kind of tempered by the birth of my human child. But, I mean, so I don't, I don't have any kids or any pets, but you have both a daughter and a longtime pet dog, Dottie. How, how would you compare pet parenting and human parenting? Because, I mean, I, I know people who would say that they're very similar. Well, the thing is, before I had the baby, I mean, I, I found Dottie kind of wandering around in the street on a really cold day. So I put her in my car, and that's, that's how I got Dottie. And I loved her. Like, I mean, I still love her, but like, I really babied her. And I mean, I think part of that was her origin story. You know, you just feel so bad for that dog that like seems to have been abandoned and is very needy. And it's just like, oh, this kind of instinct thing kicks in. And you're like, I did take on that role of like, you know, her caregiver at the very least. Did I refer to myself as her mommy? Yes. Do I still? Yes. Is she my baby? Yes. But everything changed when I had the baby baby. Poor Dottie, like, really got a lot less from me <laughs> ever since Bobby was born. Like, it it's just not even comparable. And I'm just like, there's not enough mommy to go around. Um, yeah, as, as yeah. somebody who has absolutely zero responsibility, I cannot point any fingers at parents of any <laughs> any being... Maybe you need a pet. No, no, I don't think so. A plant? Do you have any plants? I killed, I had a a curry leaf plant named, oh God, what was his name? Pritam? Anyway, we killed him. So you named your plant and we're sitting here talking about personifying dogs, but you had a plant and you named it. And then killed him by leaving him over a radiator <laughs> for two weeks when I went away at Christmas time. Which is like par for the course, man. Like, honest mistake. Honest mistake. Yeah, what if you do that with your baby? <laughs> or your dog? Just saying, honest mistake. <laughs> Luckily, you're, you know, it's just a plant and you're not going to jail. I know we were kind of curious to get a sense of how other people think about being mothers yeah, to animals. Yeah, absolutely. And I got the opportunity to talk to Laura and Jess, which are two dog moms who actually refer to themselves as dog guardians. They're very particular about their label. They say their female Shih Tzu, Xena, is like the queen, the queen of the house. And uh, here's Jess talking about Xena. 
she does make a sound uh, that sounds like a reverse sneeze. Something like... Uh, but she it's like sort of like her dog purr. It's a, it's the way that I think about it. <laughs> Jess and Laura are awesome. So I got to talk to them and uh, let's hear a little bit more about what it's like to be a dog guardian. I had dogs all of my growing up. And, um, and I grew up in Puerto Rico until I was 15. And so dog ownership in Puerto Rico meant outside dogs. Um, n- never had a dog inside. And, and then when we moved to Florida, we, could, we just didn't do dogs again because we, the, the idea that you would have a dog in the house was beyond us. And, um, and so then my parents, when I left for college, my parents suddenly decided to they get... Caved. They caved in and they got a little dog. Uh, the ultimate Americanization, right? Yes. Right. They went from having... I mean, all my growing up, I had Rottweilers and Bulldogs and big dogs. And then all of a sudden, my parents once, one day got a Shih Tzu, this tiny little Shih Tzu. And, you know, I was a smithen. But it changed my entire relationship to dogs because now we had a dog in the house. Yeah. And do they both like, so you all have different last names. What are their last names? How do you guys work that out? I think at the vet, they're under my last they're name. They're under Laura's last name. Yes, but they are more Puerto Rican, let us be clear. No, I, I think that I, I, I differ. <laughs> uh, they have a really good sense of style. Um, they have a very wonderfully full tail. Uh, and they have a mohawk. And they have a long beard. So really, they are more hipster than they are Puerto Rican or Japanese or Jewish, which are really the options available to them. So they get to choose their ethnicity. They're totally, we're just projecting. We're just projecting onto them. You're just what? Projecting? Oh, I know, right. Well, I'm just projecting like any good parent. We are the ultimate, we are the ultimate. The ultimate uh, narcissist. We project the crap. Yeah, we are the ultimate narcissist dog guardians. We fulfill all the things we want them to. All of the things. Obviously. And so we project onto them all kinds of things. Do you think that the way you were parented at all affects the way that you parent your dogs? My, my initial gut instinct is to say yes, right? I come from a family where, so there was a lot of reasoning and a lot of dialoguing about when I would misbehave and we would have very long conversations about it. Okay, that's totally my family too, though. That is totally your family too. Yeah. Oof. I know, that's interesting. We should dig more into this. We should really dig more into this, because you also come from a very verbal family. So we do, I do think that that part of the way that we engage with AJ and Cena, which is so not about giving them commands, but about trying to reason with them, totally comes from our families. Uh, I suspect that if I gave them commands, it might be more effective. Well, they're not effective. They're not effective either. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that I love about it is that they look at us. Like, like they're listening. Like they're listening. But right? I actually think they're giving us the finger. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I'm looking no, at you, but true. I don't care. It's so true. Yeah, I think it I think final thing I would say is you don't realize that you're doing all of this. You just wake up one day and this has become your life. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you look at yourselves and you open your eyes. And there is a dog face in the pillow next to you. And a dog body under the sheet. And a dog body under the sheet. And you wonder, how wow. in God's name did you get here? And you open one eye, and he opens one eye. 
And then you go, okay, well, this is our life. And then you both go back to sleep. <laughs> so, they, so they're dog guardians, and they don't have human children. They really enjoy their dogs. They really, really do. They're just like these funny little fuzzy guys that are a part of their family that bring them great joy. It's interesting that like it's such a sort of joyful, happy thing for them because like I, the piece that Caitlin did was you know pretty serious. And when I was talking to my sister about her pet child Ender, um, she actually started crying, um, and it made her very sad to talk about something that I think is very distinct for pet parents, which is the expectation, the knowledge that you will outlive your child, which I think for most human parents, you would expect that your child would outlive you. Oh, I remember I had a boss whose Cocker Spaniel died while I was working with her. And um, she said, it's so hard. It's like losing a child. And it's like, if I had known that this dog would end up like my child, I probably wouldn't have gotten a dog because it's just too hard to deal with that. That's so interesting because then I'm also thinking of the reverse situation where maybe you have an animal who is who is dangerous and you make the decision yourself to end their life. Yeah which is also a situation that a human parent would probably not find themselves in. have to do. Yeah. But that's and a, I've had to do that too. Yeah, I mean, you, I have had a dog that was really aggressive towards people. We didn't know that he was a foster dog. We, we didn't know his personality until we got him and we were kind of told some things about him that weren't necessarily true. And over time, especially like he just got worse and um, he was, dangerous you know to e- to have in our house and it came to the point where he bit me wow and that it just tells you that like this dog has no boundaries this dog will do anything because like I was always caring I was like caring for him I was like his mother it's like how do you you're gonna bite your mother like what once that happened that dog it, he became more a dog and he became more of like, this is an actual threat to me and my family. And I have to deal with it as his owner. And it was really so hard. Because you're right. Like, I was faced with that. Like, I was burdened with, what do I do with this? Do I put him in a shelter where he's going to be, like, miserable and probably euthanized anyway? Or do I try to, like, dish him off to some other unsuspecting person? And my husband and I, you know, really felt like it was our responsibility as this dangerous dog's owners. Like, no, don't put your hard stuff out on, you know, out for someone else to deal with. Like, you need to do this and you need to deal with this as the dog's owner. And we had friends, some friends who like really didn't agree with what we were doing. And we had some people who really understood where we were coming from. But like, it was tough. It was really tough. Anyway, so... Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we sort of thought about this episode as being like a little bit sort of maybe more humorous than yeah. other episodes. And it's not. Been. It wasn't. And it like, totally wasn't. So I mean, I think there were more 
There lately. were more tears in the reporting of this episode than in probably any I'm other serious. mother episode. I'm so serious. Like And yeah, genuine genuine tears. Like, like genuine sadness. No, yeah. and there and, and it turned into like that's not what this episode was gonna be about at all. It is like it's big stuff. Yeah, this this episode is not at all lighthearted. <laughs> like we had hoped. Sorry, everybody. Well, maybe next maybe next month's episode will uh We'll give it. We'll give it another shot at having a lighthearted mother episode. Yeah, we'll try again because next time it is. It is going to be lighthearted. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be hearing next time on Mother, sensory deprivation tanks, aka float tanks, aka artificial womb. If you ask me, when you're there, it's like a fresh start. Like you feel like okay, I can start over. Like all the bad stuff, all the mistakes, all the crap. You know, you could, like being in the womb is like starting fresh. And new mom Emily James applies for a personhood re-registry. Right now, at this current time, at four o'clock p.m. on a Tuesday, are you a in your pajamas, b in a new clean outfit, c in a towel freshly showered, d in the clothes you wore two days ago that you also slept in last night and never took off with underwear you've had on for three days? This is a very personal question. You can't be a person without getting personal. So as we're coming to a close, we just want to say thank you so much to Caitlin Pierce, to Lucy, who shared her story with us, to Jess and Laura for talking to us. And this episode is dedicated to a miniature poodle named Ari, who brought his mom a lot of joy. So, Anne, how are you doing? How are you? How is your womb? Do you mean me or do you ovaries? mean my ovaries? I mean your yeah. reproductive right. organs. Why is everybody always asking about my ovaries? How are your Christ? organs? <laughs> well, it's funny you should ask that because um, I was actually just at my fertility appointment today. We have a new fertility doctor and... My doctor is trying to um, mature some eggs okay. in my over in my ovaries, and um, so once you have some mature eggs, also known as dominant follicles, oh, um, I love that word. I then that. I know, right? Dominant. It sounds very threatening, very threatening. So I have three dominant follicles, and I was just informed that I mean that's actually a very good thing. So you have those right now, sitting in your ovary, yeah. Uh, basically, if you have three eggs ready to go, that equals triplets, maybe five to 10% chance. Five to 10. That's, ooh. I got a phone call today with like the update after they sort of looked at blood work and everything. And they were like, you know, they basically ordered me to make a decision by tomorrow whether or not to act on on that because those eggs are going to be in play and it's what exactly does that mean act on it what does that mean let's get it on and they're like listen you have three (laughs) dominant follicles please enjoy the weekend 
Yeah, I don't know. Five to ten percent. You're not going to take. What do you think as a medical practitioner? You think those are pretty high odds? Sounds pretty high to me. Uh, as a medical, forget my medical background. I mean, it's personal. If somebody told you that, would you take the risk? Right now, I'm so far from wanting to have a baby that I can't even fathom that. Yeah, there's part of me that just wants to be like, just get it over with. But yeah, I mean, it's like, what are the uh, odds they all get fertilized? Ex- what, five to ten percent. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But so that's that's the the update. What's uh what's up on your end? I know you have a. Do you have your podcasting shed assembled and in place? My shed of one's own. Okay, I have the shed. I have the shed. It's not finished out. I'm I'm putting electric in it. You know, I had to get a door put in it. Are you literally spray doing? Foam. Are you doing these things yourself? Like when you say you're putting, I framed up a wall. I framed up a wall in there. I framed out a wall and I'm yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are you gonna put electrical wires in there? Please don't hurt yourself. No, I'm not doing the electric. I don't. I don't. I can't. But um, it's coming along pretty good. It's just taking a lot longer than I thought. And um. But I did get this amazing clip of uh, the guys who came to drop off the shed, you know, drove up from Kentucky uh, that morning and delivered the shed. And I asked them if they know any your mama jokes. Just like out of the blue, you were like, by the way, thanks for the shed. How about a yo mama joke? Yeah, pretty much like that. I don't know one right off. Uh... I guess everybody's heard that your mama so fat she plays pool with the planets. I never heard that. I haven't heard that. Say it again. Your mama so fat she plays pool with the planets. That's a good one. All right, all right, dudes. All right, thanks a lot. Have a lot of your mama jokes. Whatever. Yeah. Take care. Drive safe. Well, anyway. All right, mama. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay. All right. Good night. You too. Bye.